welcome to Game Dev London. Today with me is Ollie Rippon of Staffordshire University London. Um, and we are going to be talking about, uh, well, as people are coming, um, coming off the uh, global game jam and the dust settles from various uh, projects, we're going to be discussing scope um, and why it's so hard to fit a game into a long weekend. Uh, so I think we're going to call this one, uh, what is scope and why is it so creepy? Well, Ollie, would you like to just introduce yourself first and, oops, I've knocked a VR headset off my desk. Uh, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself and uh, give the listeners a little background? Yeah, of course. Um, so, hi, Yang. I'm Ollie. I'm a lecturer at uh, Staffordshire University London. That's one of our, um, it's our, like, satellite campus. We kind of focus more on game stuff down there. Um, so I've kind of been working with games in some fashion for, I'd say, actually, it's coming up on, like, 10 years when I started getting into it as, like, a hobby. Um, and now I've been teaching for about three years. Um, yeah, so I, I've done games for a, a, a hot minute. Brilliant. Uh, and you've obviously your students um, have um, a whole bunch of projects that they need to sort of like fit into the um, uh, terms. So, yeah. uh, so uh, there's a lot of as as a student and as a former student that idea of kind of being able to scope projects is always invaluable. Um, yeah. Being able to know what you can actually fit into a certain amount of time. Um, it's one that admittedly, I'm still trying to figure out for myself. Um, oh, so am I after 30 yeah. years. Uh, but but, but what, what, about, uh, what is the particular difficulty with trying to pack like a game into like a long weekend, for example? For me, it tends to come down to uh, a little bit of time management, um, like just being able to figure out like when you can do certain things and how long uh, different elements of a game are actually going to take you to develop. Um, a lot of the time I tend to find that I underestimate how long things are actually going to take. Um, and that's sort of the pattern that I tend to see quite a bit is people will think like, oh yeah, I'm going to make such and such game and it's going to be huge and it's going to be great and it's going to have all of these fun things and they get maybe two of those things in. Yes. Guilty uh, as charged. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, I've, I've definitely done it this year already with a lot of projects. Um, it is kind of it's it is a tricky one i think um and it takes it takes a while to kind of figure out what things you do find quite easy to do and what things you think like oh yeah no that is actually going to take a long time mm -hmm. um actually one of my there's a nice little anecdote that I always got told about scope. Um, yeah. It's that it's the like Star Trek Scotty idea where you assume that something is going to take like twice as long as it actually, as you initially think it will. Mm -hmm. And then you end up delivering it slightly earlier and you look really good doing it. Yeah. It, it, it's one I can never bring myself to do because I I guess that the problem is that 
a lot of the reason that um, things take longer than expected is because uh, you get surprised by unexpected um, issues and so on. Uh, and by definition, things that surprise you are not things that you can plan for. So you just have to leave that bit of contingency that yeah. feels like you're like allocating some like empty space that you don't actually need because you don't know what's going to fill that space. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's very hard to to force yourself to take an estimate and then just go sort of like, yeah, OK, let's double that then. Uh, but uh, yeah. It, it's i guess for some some people are disciplined enough to manage it but um i'm an incorrigible optimist and always assume that everything will go silky smooth mm -hmm. nothing will ever be unexpected i always end up being um i'm simultaneously actually the person in our game jam team who is always like oh this is like a really ridiculous idea let's do it let's just try it and also then the person who someone else will say something that is ridiculous and out of scope and i'll be like no we can't do that though <laughs> i guess it depends how how excited you are about the uh, the idea yeah yeah definitely. <laughs> to a certain extent always, if i've uh just started figuring out how to mm -hmm. do a thing i always want to try and implement it in a really short space of time to of like course. try and yeah. do it that quickly yeah uh, so how do you get a group of students to understand what is manageable in the time that they have available for it because obviously um for a game jam it's not a big deal if you run out of time and the game is not not fully finished but um for a student like you they need to tackle something that they can finish and they can get the full experience of, of completing the project rather than something that um they have to give up on halfway yeah for sure um i i like to kind of just sit down with them near the beginning of the project like as they're kind of mm -hmm. designing everything and figuring out what they actually want to do um 90 percent of the time that does end up being a do you really think that you're going to make an rpg in four months yeah really um most of the time actually surprisingly enough this year I think most of them have actually been really well scoped. Um, there's been a little bit of creep every now and then, as there always is. Um, but it's kind of, for me, it's a case of reminding them what they already know, like what mm -hmm. they, what kind of skills they've already got. And I like to kind of just be like, and remember how long that took you to figure out. You also have to, you yeah. have to do all of that in practice and figure out a bunch of other stuff there's there's a bit of a balance and most of the time that is kind of i guess like the realization of oh yeah i'm here to learn a bunch of new skills yeah as well as kind of shore up the stuff i already have which most of the time again they manage to kind of scope it relatively well great so in terms of uh in terms of uh student projects they're, they're not always working uh, alone are they so is there a benefit um the, the optimal way to do it would be to have every student do the thing that they are most experienced doing and have the like best idea how long it's going to take mm. um 
on the team. Uh, is that the way you would try to structure a team or would you try to have like the students in like in roles that they're not so familiar with so that they can build up their experience in that particular field? We do kind of, I, I think we do kind of focus them more into this is what you enjoy and what you're good at. So mm -hmm. go do more of that. Um, I do occasionally get people that are kind of like, oh, I've never done this before, so I want to try it. Or I'm not as good at this. I'm like a bunch of people who are kind of like, I'm not great at animating. So yeah. I'm going to figure out how to do animation. Um, for example. Yeah. And I guess at that point, I kind of think that you want to set like very clear goals of what, like, what do you actually want to get out of trying that discipline? Like, yeah. if you're more like a programmer and you want to go into like try some 3D art stuff, what exactly, what do you think you're missing already that you yeah. want to go and try that? And then, what kinds of things do you think that project is going to show at the end of it yeah. to prove that actually that was worth the time? And I guess that kind of ties back into how to actually scope correctly is just make, like provide, give yourself like a clear outline of what it's going to look like at the end. Yeah. And I guess like figure out what, kind of rambling a little bit to try and find the point I started. <laughs> um, I guess it's, yeah, it's a case of looking at the goals that you've got and figuring out the, the most approachable way to achieve those goals. Yeah, because you're trying, you're trying to learn skills and yeah. like develop, um, like, uh, you know, experience with teamwork and, uh, and so on. Um, so with regards to game jams, though, um, obviously there's a there's a whole bunch of scope that tends to get um, immediately discarded with mm -hmm. game jams in terms of um, quality of life features that like that a finished game you would expect to have, but not necessarily a game jam like so save games, for example. Yeah. Um, you generally wouldn't expect a need to save your game. Um, halfway through something that only took a weekend to make. Um, yeah, because uh, in, and... theory, in theory, the actual jam game itself, you're only really going to have like five or ten minutes of gameplay in there. Probably. I mean, it I guess it depends on what... Unless you make like a, like a procedural infinite yeah. runner or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, mm. Yeah. That's, that's an idea. That's See, that's, that's a good example of one where like you... A design that that like transforms into like a lot of gameplay for um, yeah for yeah, a short a, amount of work short amount of work, um, but uh, but there, there's other other features that you could you would generally drop for a game jam such as um, uh, achievements and localization some like um, you know accessibility like options for sort of things like inverting the mouse direction or stuff like that. Having an options screen, I mean, just generally having even having a pause screen is mm. an amount of work that you generally don't want to faff with in in a game jam. So um, if all of those things are cut out and you're just 
trying to like work on like the like the core game loop um so that you've got you've got a win and a lose condition um what can you do to uh try to like keep that manageable because obviously people want to make the games that they enjoy playing at home which often have been labored over for many years i tend to um you kind of want to look at i guess like the main like the core design pillars kind of um or the the academic in me is desperate clawing out here um <laughs> if you're because if you think about like the way that a lot of those games at home are developed and obviously you've got more experience in actually making those than i do um it is kind of everything is built up on just a handful if that of core design ideas mm -hmm. and mechanics it's kind of stripping away everything else and the jam prototype is then going to be here are these core ideas presented in kind of their most bare bones way yeah and then i guess taking that and fleshing it out further afterwards yeah it's kind of then a case of okay so how do we take these individual things and make them interact with each other in more interesting ways and yeah gradually can... expand that and make it yeah, you can take one core mechanic and then just sort of like riff on it a bit mm. in a game jam with with li little tweaks that um, uh, that can uh, buy you quite a lot of gameplay. So, for example, if you if your if your game is about sort of like doing like um, if you have a stringy character who does big jumps, you can um, you know potentially like pick up power ups that, that make your jumps even bigger. Um, mm. It's a relatively trivial tweak to the core mechanic, uh, but it means that you can do you can then like design levels with like small jumps and bigger jumps, um, and you know and, and then ration out those power ups to you know to force exploration and, and so on. Yeah, um, I think Super Hot is actually a really good example of a jam game that did that really really well um because obviously like the first like the actual game itself started as just like a i think it was a seven day game jam project yeah. and it's just the actual prototype of that is just the movement itself and the cool time mechanics yeah and showing off how combat works in that environment and that's kind of it there's not a huge amount yeah. of depth to the different like to any different weapons you've got you've got one gun and that's it yeah and it's just here's a cool scenario for this gameplay and we'll just kind of show that off a little bit and then compared to the actual final release of it tons of different mechanics that will just kind of play on that initial idea a little bit more yeah that's a really good example actually because that also um has a very minimalist art style which mm. is another way that you can reduce the scope um to like make it manageable with the flat white environments and the like like primary colored red mm. enemies it's uh it's a really striking look um but it can still be polished to look quite nice yeah. um with 
you know, with the ambient occlusion and uh, all the particle effects and, and so on, when you like kill people and they shatter, um, it, it's, you can, you can take something really simplistic and like make it, make it a feature <laughs> rather yeah. than a limitation. Yeah. Like the amount of polish that it has for what actually amounts to like maybe a handful of extra features is insane yeah it's it's great um but the key thing with the key thing with super hot is that it's really fun yeah um and that's another good example actually of a game that was that started as a um as you say originally it was a jam game um and then it got fleshed out for a full release so obviously to take it from like the the core um jam concept to something that they could actually charge money for um required a bunch of like housekeeping things like save games and achievements and what have you um but also the 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 amount of gameplay there's there's a lot more levels in the released super hot uh than uh, you could get into a get a jam game yeah for example so I mean, that level count is like one of the like obvious scope yeah uh, like li limitations literal yeah. scale of the game yeah yeah um do you find that that's a, a difficult thing to sort of try to get students to keep it down to yeah just, like focus on one just one level don't don't plan like a dozen levels mm -hmm. because i always get uh i always get the oh i'm gonna make like five different levels and i'm like no make one <laughs> please I always feel like actually the the good like if you really want to keep the scope of something that small mm. and um like show off the mechanics that you've done make a tutorial level yeah oh, tutor and tutorial levels take three times as long as any other level <laughs> exactly which means then you're putting in the amount of work that it would take to make three full levels yeah so yeah. i'm i'm like it is it's definitely like a skill in itself to be able to make that kind of environment and that kind of gameplay experience but i always am a bit yeah. like this is this is a really easy way for you to just show off a thing that you've made in kind of isolation and yes. show me as the person looking at the work like how it actually functions and what i as a player i'm going to use it for yes that's a that's a good example actually of take yeah taking a core mechanic and just like making sure that you are like fully showing it off mm. um in uh, in every way because you tend to see this in in released games as well so for example um my mind has gone to portal 2 um yeah. you've got your core portal mechanic um which they play around with, which you've seen before in, in Portal 1. Um, and then they start throwing in some of the new stuff into the mix. Um, so the like the um, uh, fluid sims with the like slidey the, the and bouncy yeah. gels. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then the fact that you can like spray the gel through portals. And so they will introduce a new mechanic that has a single feature and then they have the designers have riffed on 
that and gone okay so we can make a surface bouncy and you can but you can apply that through a portal how else can we do it what else what other weird and wonderful ways can we use this mechanic and they've really tried to get every possible use case of combining gel portals lasers what have you um it's one of those um it's actually something that we're kind of covering with um in one of our level design uh modules at the moment yeah um where it's very kind of instead of just being here make a level go <laughs> we're trying to kind of look at it from a mechanics perspective and so how can you take a part of a game and make a level that uses that mechanic in either like an interesting or unique way yeah so one thing that i tend to do this anyway for most bigger quote-unquote projects that i'm on mm -hmm. it would be that um like the grid of here are all of the mechanics like in a grid how can they all interact with each other and how can then we take those individual yes. things and make interesting puzzles or make interesting environments or scenarios for players yeah that's a that's a really nice um design tool to mm. use actually because that that ensures that you are going to get the maximum value out of just the three or four mechanics that that you have available to you yeah um, i think it also kind of even rolling it back to just the actual design of the mechanics itself you start to kind of see i think how you can make those mechanics more interesting and you kind of start to think this is where the scope creep comes in um you start yeah. to add, like how can i add to that and yeah. make that more interesting like what's missing from that to make it interact with this other thing yeah and then you need to start thinking about how easy is that actually going to be to implement yeah it's i guess this is one of the reasons why it's very difficult to actually um, predict it because you never know when like two of those mechanics might just naturally interact in a fun way without mm -hmm. having to write a single line of code yeah. they it they they just happen to work together um whereas another two mechanics might require a whole bunch of additional uh work to mm -hmm. to make them function as you would expect them to uh so there's quite a wide gulf between something that something that you like just it just falls out of the um earlier work for free um and, and other things that it's like well you would expect this to happen but actually to in order to make that work so for example if you can burn things and then you can throw wooden crates and then yeah. like theoretically you could set fire to a wooden crate and then throw it um but if you haven't but, done one yeah but i mean then you can't do the other yeah exactly yeah it means that you've got to support things being sort of like like changing state to being on fire mm -hmm. rather than just like changing state to having been burned yeah um that's a terrible example but you get, no, the, no, you I, get the point I'm, I'm, my brain is then immediately going to like breath of the wild yes exactly there's where there's just systems on systems on systems that all interact with each other in a way that you think that they should in the real world yeah and maybe 
they all did. Maybe it was just all emergent and everything naturally came together. Oh, I don't think so. Not I doubt it, but I, maybe. Not not for like Tears of the Kingdom. Some of the crazy stuff you can do in Tears of the Kingdom, mm. I'm sure, took a lot of work to yeah. make it behave in what seems like the obvious way. Mm. Um, because, you know, remembering that like in video games, even just moving is a mechanic and just like not falling out of the level is something that takes a bunch of work to make it function correctly. Uh, yeah. none, very little, very little just, just happens uh, in, in video games. But once you've, once you've got, if you've done movement and you've done not falling out the level um, and you've done setting fire to things, then like, it follows that you could set fire to something and then push it <laughs> till it falls somewhere. Mm. Um, so some, yeah, it, it's weird. Sometimes you get things for free, um, mm. but an, a tool like that to sort of like force you as a designer to consider those interactions does mean that you're going to um, make sure that you're not missing any potential um, clever interactions that you could have um that you could have run with yeah uh, and, and and built on stuff um you, there's there's quite a few uh, do you find that your students um tend to have a vision and then go for it or do they i guess it's more of a it's more of a game jam approach to just have like a just a, an idea for a core mechanic get that functioning and then like see what's fun about it and riff on it to to explore the most fun elements i think for for student projects a lot of the stuff that i see and this was kind of true for when i was a student as well mm. a lot of the things that people end up doing are looking at existing games and taking like individual mechanics from them yeah and kind of recreating them as learning tools kind of yeah um, so just reverse engineering and recreating it i think the game jam approach of this is a fun thing that i've got in my head let's see if it's actually fun yeah that tends to happen i think for more the final year projects yeah by the time they kind of have a handle on how how development works and how uh, 3D modeling works and how texturing works. They start to then kind of see like, okay, I know all of these things. Where can I kind of start pushing the boat out a little bit? And that, yeah. that I think is when we start to see like interesting ideas. And also we start to see like people's habits start to form around that point of yeah. like, this is the type of game you like to make. Right. Yeah. Yeah, once you I guess you you need to know how to make things to know what you like to make. Yeah. Um, which is not necessarily the same thing that you like to play. Um Yeah. That but, was a that yeah, was a very I don't know about you, like when you had that moment, but I think that was a very like sobering reality for me. Of <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh yeah, I really enjoy um I really enjoy like playing strategy games and RPGs. I I do not enjoy making them. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see that. That there's 
building complex interactive systems yeah is complex and it was <laughs> it was actually like one of the first kind of more creative control projects that i had as a student i decided to make a little settlement builder in mm. like a year and as soon as that was done and as soon as it got submitted i was like i am never i'm never making a game like that ever <laughs> i will yeah. play them forever i i respect people who do like to make those games because yeah i i could not go back yeah uh, that's that's an interesting one because that's like that's like the uh polar opposite of the infinite runner that we mentioned before where yeah. um the infinite runner is like you're running you can you can maybe jump or duck or move left and right and like obstacles get thrown at you that's it's very simple to get that functioning and then you can you can just randomize that indefinitely and then it's it's just coming up with ways to keep it fresh and add variations and and add interest whereas uh, a strategy game tends to require um all of the core systems to allow all of your units to move around and your buildings to construct over time and then like perform whatever their function is and then you need to have, make sure that like all of them have got a well-designed function that has a good balance and and like every single element every every unit that you can build every building you can make every resource that you can harvest needs to be very carefully tuned to be like in balance with everything else and like yeah that is so much you work just in about 30 seconds summed up my thought process <laughs> <in> nine months <laughs> okay just that, that dawning realization <laughs> yeah it, it's it's well i mean but that's that's general game design um for you it, it's quite rare to come up with a game design that isn't extremely carefully tuned so like changing one thing does has like like a bunch of like knock-ons mm. um arguably the like the the rpg um that you had mentioned described mm. before is has kind of evolved to, as one where it's relatively flexible so like you can you know you can mess with your your loadout your your weapons your armor your like uh magical um buffs and so on uh that give you like edges in in combat and so on but a lot of the um like a lot of those like design elements like weapons and magic spells and stuff will give you like a a five percent buff uh mm. or something like that which is nice to have but very unlikely to be game breaking yeah because it just makes you that like like just a smidge better at something that you could do anyway um you the risk mm. i guess with something like an rpg is that like if you go around and just sort of um, rinse the map for everything that you can possibly find um, and then build your loadout to maximize like your like arrow range or something like that then like you can basically like one shot the boss from across the map um, yeah. because you you've 
you know exceeded the the limits that any of the designers expected you to uh, to do um it's but most games like you say are very finely tuned and uh, everything has to be sort of like carefully adjusted to um fit within it and if it's you know if a building is a little bit too um generous with the amount of like a new resource that it generates from two other resources mm. uh it throws the entire gameplay loop out of whack and trying to figure out where it's which which of the various links in the process are, is too generous is can be a really hard one mm. um we we've kind of drifted away from like um game jams <laughs> there because that's not something that you would generally be able to balance in a weekend is it yeah well definitely not something i'd recommend trying <laughs> no. there are definitely certain that, genres that... that is from experience i don't recommend yeah. that <laughs> yeah um uh so yeah so um if people have made something that they really uh uh think has legs mm. um in 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 the global game jam um where should they start with with thinking about um building it up into a, into a release uh this is this is going to sound like kind of backwards advice <laughs> uh my instant recommendation is tear it down and do it again um yeah if it like if it that's fair if that prototype is genuinely fun and it's something that you can see yourself playing and other people playing yeah it's worth starting again and doing it properly because i think that the way that people approach game jam development it's it is a very it is a case of we just need to get this done yeah it won't be it won't be made perfectly and it won't be kind of at least for me this is definitely true for my team um we won't have thought things out properly and we won't have like yeah. considered the impact of certain mechanics on others and gone through yeah. the whole process of what what that final game actually looks like that's actually a really good example of an invisible scope um mm. element which is the the robustness of your code and to a certain extent your your design uh so i'm a programmer um by trade and yeah there's a big difference between just like cobbling something together to get it working um which is in many ways the fun part of doing a game jam yeah uh, it's just sort of like being a little bit lazy and just like throwing things together in the easiest possible way um when do to do it properly so that that like everything is like nice and solid and robust and nothing like nothing breaks requires lots more um you know like handling of corner cases and and fail safes and um you know defensive coding to make sure that if the player does something unexpected it is not going to break the system Sorry, my dog just came in. Um, <laughs> no, I. Yeah. It is absolutely. I like for me that is totally the first thing 
that yeah. like and it is part of the fun is hacking it all together and just kind of seeing what sticks yeah. which is why as soon as it's ready to yeah. like become a bigger thing go back and do it properly <laughs> That, that's that's really good advice. I don't like it. I I mean, yeah, instinctively yeah. I hate, recoiling from. I the hate most... saying that. Yeah. Like, but every yeah. time, every time we've made a game and thought, yes, this actually would be really fun. People yeah. that we've showed it to really enjoy the concept. Every time we've just taken that prototype and tried to build on top of it, but it it, it is like building on sand. Yeah. It absolutely just it's yeah. not sustainable yeah you you need to have all of your core systems built in such a way that that they are easy. and also to make them easy to uh debug not just yeah. like the, the way that they all work together but making sure that um like two systems that communicate to each other go through a like single clear choke point where you yeah. can uh, you can like just test that the data going between the two systems is sensible um, mm. or put breakpoints in to catch when something unusual happens so that you can like track it down to where the where did the bad data come from is yeah. is a game that we have to play all the time and most of the time if you're working on a game that you made in a jam and you haven't started it again the yeah. bad data is coming from when you made it at 2 a.m on the sunday yeah. Yeah, and the bad data you were sitting... sleep deprived and thought that you didn't, or, and thought that you knew better than yeah. well rested you. And the bad data is getting injected directly into another system with which has global variables exposed. Uh, yeah, from somewhere you would never expect. Yes, it just becomes. Um, you know, this is why a lot of like coding standards uh, exist. Uh, yeah such as having accesses to modify data and, and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's, that's a, that is a, like, a really good example of, of a, um, an element that significantly increases your, your scope that you, would, you don't have really for a game jam because of the time constraints. Mm. You do need to have it, not, not necessarily because it needs to be all elegantly written in order to ship, but you will never get to the point of shipping if it's not elegantly written so that you yeah. can find all of the bugs that get introduced. Yeah. Um, so yeah, writing it properly helps you to get it finished when it's a bigger project. Um, yeah, just because you know where everything is. And when you start bringing on other people to add their own bits as well, it's the, nice and yeah. easy for them and they don't need to go through nonsense to get what they want done. Yeah. Um, something that is an issue in um, commercial game dev, possibly not so much for students. I, you'll, you'll have to tell me. Um, in commercial game dev, you can quite often catch yourself out by um, forgetting how a bit of your own code that you wrote nine months ago works. Yeah. It's, com it's more common than you might think. Definitely. Definitely still an issue for students yeah I, I feel like actually it's almost worse because every now and then you'll you'll learn like how to do a thing for a week implement it 
go away, come back to it three months later, and you haven't used that technique since, and so you don't actually remember how it works or why it works. Yeah. That's... So it's not even like going back and reading a book that you haven't read for months. It's like going back and reading it in a different language. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Yeah, so th th those sorts of issues can... Um... Those are issues that you don't generally have with in the scope of a jam game because like everything's fresh in your mind for the duration of the jam. Yeah. Um, and you don't really have the opportunity to um, leave little ticking time bombs for yourself hiding in the code. Um, I mean, it can happen. You can like in the way that you set up a system on day one might have a flaw in it that doesn't manifest until like, day three when somebody finds the corner case that was always going to fail yeah uh that kind of always comes along with like again it's that thing of if you don't plan it early on which again is kind of outside of the scope of a jam game anyway but knowing how certain things are, certain systems are going to end up interacting yeah that that's when most cases kind of come up so taking that game further you kind of already plan ahead for those just by having an idea of actually how everything's going to interact yeah i mean as with everything the, like, the more experience you have the the more you will be able to anticipate some of these surprises um uh which is why it's so useful to do game jams mm, um yeah, are, there any, are there any other like um design tips and tricks that you teach your students to help them to um avoid some of these pitfalls put you on the spot there sorry this is this is genuinely like uh this is one of those questions that a thousand different actual answers and i can't think yeah. of any of them. um i think one one that i like to go for and i kind of use this in my own practice as well is just asking other people um and it sounds it oh, does yeah. sound really really simple but you'd be surprised at how many how many people i know just that make games in general if it's as a hobby or as a job or if they're students that will try and develop something completely in isolation yes without any kind of out without any kind of outside input or any kind of play testing mm -hmm. and it will just be i made this thing hand it to somebody finished and it will be like no this is super broken or this isn't actually really that fun yeah it's again like one of the simplest things that you can do is just talk to people about the thing that you're making yeah and one be ready to take criticism yeah <laughs> and get good at taking criticism absolutely but if they if somebody tells you that something isn't really super fun to them they probably mean it yeah and they will also probably have a suggestion on how to make it more fun that you might not have thought of before they might do. One of my favourite bits of um, game dev advice 
uh, though, is that like if somebody if somebody identifies that that something's not fun, mm. then like you, you, that's important. You must listen to them. If they tell you what they think would fix it, that's less likely to be the right answer. Um, if they are not intimately familiar with all the systems that contribute to sort of like forming the the experience because sometimes the 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 thing that seems like it's the problem isn't really the problem mm. i think that's kind of um a good way of kind of figuring that out is if somebody says this isn't fun i think you should do this mm. what they're actually saying is this isn't fun something that it something is missing that this yeah. would fill the gap of but it realistically you should kind of try and take the the thing that somebody tells you to add try and figure out actually why do you want that yeah if it was suddenly like oh this doesn't have i don't know dodge rolling came to mind <laughs> for some reason i've been looking at a lot of dark souls recently um <laughs> like this game doesn't have yeah. dodge rolling it's like okay why do you particularly want dodge rolling in this mm. probably because you think that your character's too slow or you can't get out of the way of attacks fast enough okay mm -hmm. we'll look at that yeah and figure out what already exists that we can solve that problem with before we go effectively the nuclear option of adding yeah. a new feature <laughs> yeah that that's always a tricky one i mean the, the example i had in my head was the sort of like if a weapon seems sort of like too overpowered for its mm. um for its price um there's two fixes to that you can make it less powerful or you can make it more expensive um mm. uh, which is solving the same issue from from different directions um and uh and i think in the in the dodge roll case yeah if, if people feel like they want to be able to dodge roll it's because they want to be able, presumably, they want to be able to get out of the way of a, a, attacks in the way that like another game allows them to do. Mm. But for example, if the game is not about movement and dodging, and it's more about um, uh, just just being a tank and and like just like soaking those hits, then mm. maybe it needs a bit. It, what it actually needs is a little bit more cosmetic juice and maybe some sort of like feedback mechanism so that actually getting hit feels satisfying uh, in the same way that like dodging a hit can feel satisfying. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, how people feel about the mechanics that they are, um, you know, performing can feel will be wild, wildly different depending on like the, the, visual audio and like other feedback cues that you you put around it hmm. um it's actually um it's made me think of uh no I, i'm pretty sure this story is true but it might be one of those that has just kind of circled around the industry a lot and is actually a complete lie um the one of the weapons in call of duty 3 um a bunch of players were complaining that it was really underpowered and nobody was using it mm -hmm. and so they changed the sound effect of it yeah <laughs> and suddenly everybody right. loved it and it was super Absolutely. powerful and funnily enough 
the statistics that they had from the players that were using it suddenly shot up and everybody was doing really well with it because they changed yeah. the sound. That's that's a that's a key thing to remember actually. Um the game does not happen on the screen. It mm. it doesn't happen inside the 3D level. It doesn't you know um uh, and it d- doesn't happen on the sort of like the like paper and pencil design. The game happens in the player's head. Mm. Um and so everything that the game is doing on screen and with audio and, and stuff like that is is contributing to that. And yeah, it's at the end of the day it's it's smoke and mirrors and um crafting like poking at like player psychology to like um evince the reaction that you want from your players um so that they so they will enjoy it um but yeah it's 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 a bit of a black art um um, we i feel like we've uh, we've drifted a little bit um yeah (laughs) um let's let's wrap up i mean scope it's it's always a challenge um i bet there's been um there's going to be some of the games that have come out of the jam that are um outstanding in their sort of like elegant simplicity mm-hmm. um uh in that there's there's almost no content to them but they're just so perfectly balanced and tweet that they're just enormous fun to um uh, to play and there's probably some other ones which it's an astonishing how much content they've managed to create in such a short space of time Mm. um and these are both like impressive like uh, accomplishments of, of um scope um but geared towards people's different skill sets um are there any? Uh, do you think of any any ways that like people can try to turn their particular skills to um, making the most out of the the limited scope that a game jam offers? I think a lot of it kind of a lot of it comes down to. Um, what what your expectations are going into it because i feel like a lot of the time people who like teams and developers that go into a game jam thinking i'm gonna make the next big jam turned commercial (laughs) success yeah they end up massively overscoping because they're trying to make a commercial game they're they're skipping the step of just make a just make a cool project make yeah. one make one cool thing yeah and then funnily enough then the people who are like i'm just going to make one cool thing end up making one really cool thing that has the potential to turn into a commercial success i think at that point it kind of comes down to like taking that one cool thing and I guess taking taking a step back from it and thinking what what am I able to turn this into? That's great. I don't really think I have anything to add to that. 
Really? So, because I, I barely thought I made any sense to myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's cool. I mean, the... I think I guess the joy of game jams is trying to um, uh, it forces you to think at a different scope than mm. you would normally. You, you're just trying to it kind of, it almost forces you to just like focus on one just a single mechanic and and like see how much mileage you can get out of it. Yeah. Um, and then so, when you start to take it into the more larger scale version of it, yeah, then you can kind of start to think like, okay, what else would work interacting with this one thing? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, um, there's a lot, you know, if it works at the scale of a game jam, then um, it's almost certainly going to be something that, that could, that could work on, on a bigger scale with, um, with more, uh, more space to explore, more of uh, more potentially more mechanics that interact with it, more narrative framing it. You know, th there's all sorts of ways to expand on a um, uh, on a core mechanic. Mm. Um, but uh, brilliant. Okay, so um, sorry we've 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 rambled for quite a while. <laughs> Let's wrap things up. Yes. Um, uh, Ollie, do you uh, have? Uh, what, any socials you'd like to um, reference for if people want to like follow up so, on anything with you? Uh, my uh, personal Twitter um, is on screen. It is now. Yes, Pat. <laughs> um, it's a lot of it's a lot of vowels. Um, and there's a whole story behind why it, the handle is what it is. Um, I occasionally post up like some of my own game dev stuff up there, and most of it is actually just going to be reposts and retweets from um, from the Staffs Uni accounts, which you can also go and find. It's at Staffs Uni and at Staffs Uni London. Um, and also, I tend to post quite a bit on my LinkedIn at the moment as well. Again, mostly uh, about new courses that are coming up. So if you go onto LinkedIn, you'll probably see this face advertising a new <laughs> course that we're running in London next year. So if you want to come and learn how to do design and programming, this is what's going to be teaching you for three years. We shall put links to all those in the show notes uh, on the uh, podcasts uh, for, for simplicity. Um, and if you've uh, enjoyed this chat, then please come along to gamedev.london where you can find links to the rest of our podcasts and our Discord channel where um, there is more game dev chatter happening. Until next week, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Ollie. Thank you.